friends. Let me introduce myself. Peltzer's the name, Rand Peltzer. That's me there on the corner. I'm an inventor, and I have a story to tell. Yeah, I know, who hadn't got a story? Well, nobody's got a story like this one. Nobody. Hello and welcome. Welcome and hello. This is Wait, You Haven't Seen? The show where we talk about movies and specifically we talk about a movie at least one of us has never seen before. I'm your host Travis, aka TV's Travis. This is episode number 197 and our movie this week is 1984's Gremlins. Joining me to talk about it, because he had never seen it before, it's Scott Moore, aka Groove is for Life. Scott, how you doing? Hey, I'm doing great. Thanks for having me back, man. Absolutely, absolutely. It's been a while uh, since you were on, and we got to talking. Yeah. And you mentioned you mentioned you hadn't seen Gremlins, and I kind of I had to do a double take because I thought everybody about my age had seen Gremlins. Yeah, well, I was four when it came out, so mm, yeah, <laughs> you know, I am not four anymore, and <laughs> so I I couldn't. I, I think I said like I don't remember if I've actually seen it, so. So a question then would be, okay, so you don't see it when it first comes out. That makes sense. I was about three, four years old too, right? Um, it's 1984 right. that yeah. it comes out. But you knew of it. Did you just did it just never kind of cross your path, never really be something that you were seeking out? Uh, yeah, I mean, I was I'm trying to say, like, it. again, it's been many, many years, so... Mm-hmm. You know, I think I like vaguely, you know, I remember seeing like scenes sure, and maybe clips here and there. I don't remember sitting and like watching it front to back. Okay. All right. So, you know, so that, that you know, I can see essentially, that. Happen. Essentially, I haven't seen it. Like I know the, I mean, we all know the Gremlins lore yeah. and everything, you know, and there's some memorable scenes that, you know, are still referenced to this day. But I don't re- I don't remember like sitting down and watching it. Okay. Well, it was it was released in 1984. It was written by mm-hmm. Chris Columbus, who went on to create, uh, write and direct um, Home Alone, and mm-hmm. it was directed by Joe Dante, uh, executive produced by Steven Spielberg. So this had some some clout behind it. Some people that were Joe Dante was relatively new in terms of directing. He had done The Howling prior to this and Piranha mm-hmm. were his two kind of major movies before he made this one. Um, and Spielberg, of course, uh, had been around for a little while. In fact, Dante and Spielberg worked together on um, uh, his segment of uh, the Twilight Zone movie. Joe Dante mm-hmm. directed part of that. And so then they nice. decided to work together. Chris Columbus had worked with... Um, he wrote this, and then he also wrote the screenplay for The Goonies the next year. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, so we worked with Spielberg, who produced that, too. So they just kind of all mashed together and made this thing. And um, what I want to know is, what did you think of it? It was such the it was such uh, an 80s movie. I think it's the <laughs> best way to describe it. Yeah. Uh, you know, it, it and it had all of the 80s traits that all 80s movies had, um, which was kind of a trip to watch, to, you know, sit back and watch through. And I took plenty of notes 
Um, but it was just it, it it was just the the weird kind of like, it, you know, it's meant to be like uh, I when I looked it up when I you know looked it up afterwards, it's described as like a dark comedy. Yep. And it 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 really straddles the line between kind of a horror movie and a Christmas movie, you know, which was part of the reason you know we we decided on this, you know, because we're right around the corner from Christmas. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Bombat's even mentioned, I feel like it was on Germany at least once per year since it first aired. It probably was, it's probably been on syndicated TV in America for every year. You know, it's probably one of those movies that's always played at Christmas time. Just yeah. so, uh, but there are so many elements of it that was, it's like you, you look back and you're like, wow, we got away with that. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I definitely um, want to dive into that a little bit because. Yeah, but it was, it, I mean, honestly, it was, it, it was very enjoyable. Uh, there was, you know, there was some really heartwarming moments. Uh, and then, and I've always said, um, whether it be horror or anything like that, um, practical effects are, to me are always way more horrifying than CGI. Oh, sure. For sure. Because, because they're, they're, they're way more visceral. Mm-hmm. It's there. You can see it. And like. You know, especially at the time, like they are heavy handed on whatever slime <laughs> that that it is, you know, yeah. so, you know, those were... things look like look like the alien, you know, they look like the pods from aliens. <laughs> yes, there was there were you buckets know? of KY jelly all over that set. We know. Right. And this is and this is supposed to be a kid's movie. <laughs> <laughs> so that's the, that's the funny thing about it. So it, it this movie was rated PG and it came out in 1984. Right. Now, this is one of those movies that is often mentioned with sort of it basically created the PG-13 rating because yeah. at the time you had G, PG, R, and X. R. That was it. Yep. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And this this isn't R-rated. Even for the time, it's not really R-rated because there's not a ton of no. language in it. There's no uh, there's no nudity and not really any. I mean, there's barely like there's a there's a bit of a romance between uh, Billy and Kate. There's- like. There's one kiss. Yeah, but it's like it's high school romance. It's nothing. Um, yeah, the only th- the only thing it has would be, and I'll probably cut you off there, is that it has some violence to it. Yes, and yeah, it's it does. Cartoon- and it's cartoonish, mm-hmm. cartoonish gore. I would say it's not really a gory movie, but it's very cartoony in some of the gore it has. Yeah, and it was pretty intense. It, this came out the same year as Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom, which is another movie that had some intensity to it and some some yep. gore, mm-hmm. um, gore effects that uh, were probably more than... So the idea behind PG was parental guidance suggested. Um, and basically, mm-hmm. to don't just let your kids go and see it by themselves and expect that it's going to be... You're gonna, you know, you're not gonna want to take your really little kids. And I talked about this a little yeah. bit last week because last week's movie was Willow, mm-hmm. and Willow's also falls into this same category from this era. This was an era yeah. of films that did this, though. Like Gremlins mm-hmm. isn't the only one. Gremlins, there's Indiana Jones, um, kind of straddles that line because again, it's family. They're family friendly in their story, but yeah. they can have intense imagery. Uh, Labyrinth, mm-hmm. The Dark Crystal, Willow, oh, yeah, yeah. Um, the and, Goonies, and, and again, all of them. And these. again, it 
lot of it is 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 the intensity of the practical effects more mm-hmm. than anything. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I remember the Indiana Jones, the guy's face melting. Yep. You know, Willow. You have the pig transformation scene. You know, yeah. you have all these scenes that are like, wow, like this is really kind of horrifying to watch. This is a horror aspect, but it's not a horror movie. But I I am of the mind, and I again, this is something I've brought up before, is that I don't think it's a bad thing to have stuff like that in a movie. If Now, here's the thing. If you're a parent, you should be able to read your kids fairly well. Kids, I think a lot of parents don't give their kids enough credit for what they can handle. Now, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm going to sit here and say, like, I saw a lot of these movies as a kid. And right. to this day, my mom will say, like, oh, I shouldn't have let you see the, some of those movies when you were that young. And I turned out okay, but it's it's not one of those, well, I watched that stuff when I was a kid. Now I'm just fine. Like, I watched it, right. but my parents sort of knew, like, what was too much, what was going to be over the line. Yeah. And so I didn't get exposed to that until I was a little bit older. But, like, at at a young enough age, sort of that 9 to 12 age... Um, yeah. I could see things kind like, of the, yeah, like this or Howard the Duck kind of, was another one that did it where it had yeah. like, that kind of imagery. Yeah. When, when we hit the kind of preteen age, it's a pro it's okay. Like, yeah, because I think you can handle it. And I think that's uh, that kids, Jim Henson said it kids, scaring kids is not a bad thing. Like kids should get yeah. scared every once in a while and that's yeah. fine. You don't want to overdo it. And I think where a lot of horror movies are really rough for children, uh, even even in that younger, like you have to balance that horror with levity, and you can't have a lot of dread to it. There has to be, and that, there it has to be like cartoonish, and yeah. and a little more lighthearted, and you can still have horror elements in something. Absolutely, and and and. You know, like that's why I say, like it's to me, it's half a horror movie and half a comedy. Yep. Where it is that it is that dark comedy because yeah, there's some really intense scenes there, but then it's broken up with the levity of the gremlins doing slapstick comedy and shooting each other. Yep. Oh you yeah. You know. Um. So yeah. So no, and I agree. Like, as long it, it it's not a dark movie. No. You know, it's not a dark movie by any means, especially. C- compared to like today's movies, mm-hmm. um, but it is has some intensity to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Because the the overall tone, it is. I throw this into my alternative Christmas movies um, category. It's it's a Christmas movie, but it's not your traditional. It's not. It's a Wonderful Life. It's not. Uh, this is, you know, th- this is the this is Chris this is the Christmas movie for the hot topic crowd. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> That, that works. I think I think the, the 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 people that's that that love Halloween and love horror and love that whole thing you and they usually because they they get left behind because it's you know most Christmas movies and shows are oh, the Christmas season everything's great you know no yeah. problems and this is like no this is like yeah this is Christmas is not wonderful for everyone and there's some <laughs> dark dark things in. Again, not just in the scenes, but some subjects that get touched up upon, but not mm-hmm. really explored, which is a kind of interesting. Well, that's something I'll mention that this was kind of the movie yeah. of hanging plot threads. But 
Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> when we talk about intensity, so this is on my brain. I'm, I got to talk about this one. The kitchen, the scene in the kitchen with the mom is an oh, example. God. Oh yeah. Of the, like, this is something that happened in eighties movies, especially even eighties family friendly. And I'm, I'm going to put that mm-hmm. out there is yep. she comes into the room and she uses what is essentially an open topped blender on one of the, yep. one of them just spraying oh, yeah. gremlin everywhere. She goes oh, hard. She goes hardcore and just like psycho stabs the one with a knife. Yep. Yep. And did you notice in the background after she did that when she turns around to the one that's by the microwave? Did you notice uh-huh. in the background the gremlin? Because I probably when, didn't. So after she stabs that gremlin, and then one throws like the tray of cookies at her or whatever, and she turns around and she goes after him. That's the one she puts in the microwave. Uh-huh. In the background of that scene, they had an effect. It was one of the gremlin puppets trying to pull the knife out of itself as it's struggling oh. on the counter. And you can <laughs> see that in the background of this little gremlin with its its feet kicking and it's trying to pull the knife out of itself. And I was just like, I can't believe like that's amazing that they put that in this movie. And they they didn't they they had shots, you know, kind of a close up of that and they didn't use it. But it was still in the background. And then yeah. is when she puts the one in the microwave and explodes its head. <laughs> yeah, and one of the notes one of the notes I made was mom looking like Ripley. <laughs> she was. Mom I think my my like, note was just like mom is hardcore. Uh, yeah, well and, well and the thing is it was great because she hears the stuff going on upstairs and instead of doing the dumb horror thing where they just kind of run upstairs the first thing she does is reach for and grabs the knife. Yep. Yeah. Oh yeah. And not, and not, and not like holding it in front of her. Like, I don't know how to hold. No, she's like ready. She's like, I'm going into combat. Yeah. At one point you she know? has knives she has dual wielding, not kitchen knives. Yeah, like yeah, I'm, I even, I even I'm messing that, somebody I said up. That was like, she picked up the second knife. I'm like, well, she's dual wielding now. <laughs> but you know, but yeah, like, she comes down and like takes three of them out. Like, very quickly not like and without mercy like the look on her face was like she was not messing around no no those gremlins did not stand a chance mama was protecting her home (laughs) and i love i love that i love that about her i wish we had had more time with her because we basically had one scene in the kitchen yep and then then that scene where she takes out the gremlins and then she's done for the rest of the movie like she doesn't show she up until taken the out. End. And then she gets taken out by the tree. Yeah. Well, yeah, she has the so fight the with the tree. tree. Yeah, she has the fight yeah. with the tree. But then, you know, he drops her Billy drops her off at the at the doctor's house. Uh and that's yeah. it. She's she shows up at the end. Um Yeah. But yeah, like Which she has a she has a better body well. Okay, would you argue if she has a better body count than Billy? I am going to say yes because his was kind of one action to take a bunch of them out. Which okay, so I okay, I agree. That's that's. I figured we were going to be on the same page on that one. Yeah, we're going quality over quantity here. Okay, Billy might have taken out more gremlins, but mom. But she did the actual killing. Yeah, mom. Mom put more work in. Um, agreed. But yeah, like that's a that's a scene that just that is such an '80s movie scene, and it's. I loved every second of that. Like, yeah, and that's where the that's where the the dark humor kind of comes out. Yes. I think mm-hmm. 
Like it's not, and not so much that it's a humorous scene, but if that's a horror movie, she's running and screaming and panicking, like and flipping out, right? Like yeah. a lot of the care, like a lot of the other characters, in a dark comedy. No, she's ready for for battle. So, <laughs> and so I think that was yeah. awesome. So I co-host uh, a show called Gore, and it's all about horror movies. And mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, our one of the things that we do is we have a list of tropes and things that happen in horror movies. Yep. And one of those is we have it's people doing stupid shit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That doesn't apply nearly as much in this movie because the characters in this movie do not make a much of dumb decisions. No, they don't do the yeah, they don't dumb do the dumb like Friday the thirteenth or Nightmare on Elm Street yeah. thing. I mean and and the mom is the perfect example of that. Stuff starts to happen in the house and she doesn't do dumb things. She takes them out. You know, she got tackled by the tree, but she didn't know that the the grunner was hiding in the tree. That wasn't a dumb thing. She Hmm. backed into the tree and it was there. It it ambushed her. And then you have... that wasn't... Yeah. You know. And then you have Kate who's stuck in the bar. And that's another one of those scenes that's... (laughs) Well, I loved... And one of my notes was literally... uh, Kate serving a bar full of gremlins was probably not the worst night she's had. <laughs> no, no, she's definitely had worse. She was just, she was just like serving. I'm like, okay, this is weird, but okay, like, <laughs> yeah. and just okay. It's probably you know they're at least not slapping my ass, so it's probably a good night. Yeah, and somewhere along the line, she figures out the light thing, and and yeah. here's another cool uh, thing that um, that I love that the movie did is they've made it a point to tell you that the gremlins hate bright light. Yeah. So where do they all hang out? In a bar where it's always dim. The lights are always well, down in a bar anyway. Well, and I, well, and I loved, and I, and again, one of my, because I, I make quick quick notes just for reference. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. And one of my notes was beer is not water confirmed. Yep. Yeah. Because yeah. they were drinking it, drowning themselves in it, and nothing happened. So it's like, well, nope, there's no water in beer. <laughs> Well, and and that's one of the things this movie definitely didn't do was try to explain its lore at all. It's just like, here's the Mogwai, here's Gremlins, it's a thing, just deal with it. Like, hand-wavy, hand-wavy, it's fine, don't look behind the curtain. And, don't think about it too hard. Yeah, and, and the movie is better for that, in my opinion, because... Yeah. The, and and um, who was it? Was Zach? Um, Zach Gallon? Is that his name? I, I can't remember. Yeah. Yeah. I believe so. He, uh, Galligan, Zach Galligan, who played Billy, even said, like, when they were making the movie, they were making fun of the whole can't feed them after midnight thing because that's become kind of a big, tropey uh, yeah. discussion on the internet the last, you know, dozen or so years is like, well, if you can't feed them after midnight, what does that mean? Is it only Eastern time? Like, and they were making mm-hmm. the jokes, they were making those jokes on the set of the movie, like, wait, yeah. midnight, but it's always midnight somewhere. So yeah, like, well, it, yeah, it's, it's always those, like, after midnight somewhere. It, yeah, if you think about it too hard, it completely breaks it. But that's not the point. The point isn't like, oh, we've got to solve a mystery. It's like, no, this is just a goofy, fun movie, and the rules are sort of guidelines rather than actual law. Yeah, and that was actually something that uh, Joe Dante said in an interview. He talked about. He's like, look, as long as you don't like, people go to a movie they want to be entertained. So as long mm-hmm. as you don't do something so egregious in that first 15 to 20 minutes of your movie that you lose them, they're just yeah. going to accept what's there and take it and be entertained by it. And so absolutely, 
they knew that it was kind of dumb, like the whole, well, they can't get them wet. Well, that, that eliminates a lot of stuff you can do on Earth. And yeah. can't feed them after midnight. Well, it's silly, but we'll just play with it anyway because who cares? So right. like it just works. You just run with it. Um, and uh, it was, it was great. Ace Moon 3 says, I'm still surprised people take notes for this show. The reason I take notes is because I have uh, CRS, um, mm. which is can't remember stuff. Yep. So, oh no! Uh, I take, that's why I took notes. <laughs> I take notes every single time. Um, but yeah, it's so then you get you get that wonderful scene in the bar though, where here's Phoebe Cates and she figures out the bright lights thing. Some I think it was the match. Yeah. And no, so uh, no, it was a I think it was a mirror. Something one, something tipped her off that the, one of the lights, I think one of the bar lights like went off or sparked or something. Okay, and that was enough for her to figure out that like a flash of light would help. And so she gets herself mostly out of that situation with the camera flash, which I thought well, was great. And, yeah, well, and and at the very end, she doesn't do the whole, like, you know, the flash stops working for whatever, you know, because Polaroids only had a certain amount of flashes and mm-hmm. batteries probably die. You know, again, <laughs> yeah. horror trope, battery dies at the most inopportune time. Mm-hmm. And she just, like, dodges out of the way and keeps running. Yeah, yep. <laughs> Just like she doesn't stand, like she realizes it doesn't have a good aim. So like when it goes to shoot, she just ducks out of the way and then I'm out. Then runs right out the door. Um, yeah. And that whole scene, by the way, is just great with all the gremlins because you just see they had when you got all. They must have had so much fun with all those puppets. I hear. Oh I, yeah. I did hear that it was there was a lot of. I mean, any anytime you're doing a lot of puppet work, it can be taxing. I imagine. Um, and. They were originally going to do most of it stop motion, um, and there's one stop motion shot in the movie, and that's with the the group of gremlins coming down the street. Um, yeah, and that's the one stop motion shot. But they were they were going to do it uh, stop motion. The one guy said, "Well, um, let's do puppets." The studio at one time wanted uh, to try and use trained monkeys, like spider monkeys, in masks. Oh, God. So here's how that went down. They tried to have monkeys as the gremlins. They put the mask on the monkey. Uh, the monkey freaked out, started throwing poop everywhere, and mm-hmm. they couldn't get it to calm down. And so they, he just uh, basically Joe, Dan- Joe Dante said, all right, so uh, puppets then? So, yeah, <laughs> how about puppets? Let's, let's go with that. Um, and the puppets were the way to oh. go. The, the Visually, yeah. the puppets were the way to go. I think stop mm-hmm. motion... Stop motion would have dated itself much quicker, and yeah, I mean, you, yeah, that scene, that scene where they're all running out after they mass reproduce, yep. like you said, like it's like, oh, that didn't age well, you know. No, that particular one didn't, not nearly as well as the rest of it. And I also think you lose a lot of the expressiveness of the different uh, gremlins when you go to stop motion because with the puppeteering. Yeah. You can, there's so much you can do with puppets and, and I've talked about this with like Muppet movie and all this, anything puppet related mm-hmm. puppets can have so much personality to them. And so you can make, yeah. I mean, in, case in point, this movie has gizmo and then gizmo reproduces five gizmos, right? Mm-hmm. So with the exception of the, uh, one gremlin that's got the stripe, the one they named mm-hmm. stripe, that's got kind of the mohawk. Yeah. All yeah. of them look the same. Right. 
but they're, they, you can then give them all personalities just based on what, yeah, all, what other things you dress them up in and then how you puppeteer them. So yeah, like and you had all the, great. you had all the different ones. You had the flasher, you had like the Humphrey, <laughs> you had the Humphrey Bogart. Oh, I love that. Uh, that was they, so you good. had the scene of them playing poker and then shooting the one guy. <laughs> the you one know, who's like, cheating. Different... You got the guy playing yeah, the, all... the gremlin playing poker and he's got like aces all right. over himself hanging off of his ears and stuff. Oh, I love that. Yeah, yeah. And that and that and I think I remember like again, you know, I didn't watch this movie through, but I do remember like references to that bar scene. Mm-hmm. You know, and stuff like that. So um... there was there was one wearing Mickey Mouse ears in the theater. While they were watching uh, Snow White yeah. and the Seven Dwarfs, mm-hmm. I, I got a kick out of that, um, and and it's just great because they don't have to have any names. You don't have to. They don't have any real dialogue. It's all just gibberish. Most of it yeah. done by Howie Mandel, who did the voice of Gizmo, which which was a shocker to me when I looked that up. <laughs> I knew it I was because like... I'd read it before, but also not that long ago I rewatched an episode of Bobby's World, and. Yeah the gizmo voice like the character of bobby that he did for that show definitely started off with gizmo and he was yeah, doing that and, kind and, of baby voice in his stand up at the time so yeah cuz i used to watch bobby's world as a kid i remember that vividly mm-hmm. and i don't i don't know if i would have picked out howie mandel just on gizmo alone like i was I was I had to watch it on Amazon. That's the only way I could find it. So gotcha. like I would pause it. I'd pause it to make the notes, and it pop up with the actors, which was, eh, you know. Yeah. So, but when I saw that, it was just like, now I see where Bobby came from. Yep. <laughs> you know, but still, it was like, oh wow, you know, because I was looking through the the, you know, doing a little bit of research, looking through the actors list. Yeah. You know, there wasn't a lot of big names to it. Um. The one other character I recognized was Ju- uh, Judge Reinhold. Yep. As you know, the the um, the junior VP. Yeah. Who shows up in t- two scenes and that's it. <laughs> Ju- like Ju- nothing yeah. happens to him. There again. So <laughs> this movie was the movie of a thousand dangling plot threads. Like Judge Reinhold's character is in the beginning of the movie, and they're setting him up as like this rival slash bully of Billy's. Yeah like sort of a frenemy, but not really like he thinks they're friends, but Billy can't really stand him. And then he just disappears for the rest of the movie. He's just like, well, he's gone. Well, well, you know, and he does the thing he, you know, he asks out, uh, Billy's crush. Oh um, yeah. He asks out Kate. Kate. Yeah. He asks out Kate and his big pitch was (laughs) I've got cable. It's a 1984, (laughs) man. That was a big deal back then. No, and I said, I, I, it said Cal- cable was a selling point for the date. This is pre Netflix and chi- Chiller. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Um, so. Yeah. I mean, Jud- Judge Reinhold is great, and it's a bummer that he wasn't in more of the movie. But the couple of scenes he in are, are super fun. Um, so you've got um, Zach Galligan. This was like his first film, mm-hmm. and he was pretty. He was young. He was like twenty ish or so. Phoebe Cates had been around for a little bit. She had done Fast Times at Ridgemont High. Uh, a couple years before this. In fact, there was concern apparently at the studio that she wasn't going to be wholesome enough uh, because of the whole fast times at Ridgemont high and going topless in the movie okay. uh, that her image wouldn't be wholesome enough for this movie. And uh, I think it was, right. I want to say it was Spielberg was like, nah, she's fine. Don't worry about it. Like, which and she's is, great, which is probably, 
Well, and it, it's probably why she was dressed up in like the little the the little house on the prairie dress. <laughs> In, in 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 the uh when we first see her in in the bank yeah yeah the very like, conservative the, bank like like with the poofy like the with the full neck and the poofy shoulders yep. and it's like not you're not even seeing like a wrist there like the costume you know, for it, the bank was crazy like billy showing up to work and he's got the shirt vest sport coat and then he puts his clip on tie on and i was like oh boy if that <laughs> If that isn't if that doesn't scream 1980s, I don't know what does. The clip-on tie because right. I definitely had a couple of those. Well, and real young. and you know, and and when I said earlier, you know, uh, how like this is you know a quintessential 80s movie. One thing about 80s movies like villains, and I don't say the Gremlins are the villains here. They're they anticipate this, but they're not really the villains, so to speak, other than maybe Spike. Or not Spike. Um, Stripe. Streak? Stripe, that's it. Uh, and this is like in after kind of the opening scenes mm-hmm. of how we get Gizmo in the first place. Yep. Uh, we had Miss Daigle sh- show up. Boy. And... Yeah. and the first thing she like, and she's, and it's like, okay, this is obviously a bad person because she's carrying a, 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 a snowman, a, like a frosty snow, a giant frosty snowman head. Uh-huh. And, and her face is all twisted up, angry, and like she's just shouting at people and being rude and being oh, yeah. nasty to everyone. And the first thing she does is literally threaten to put a dog in a dryer. Yep. Oh, I mean, immediate way to make me hate a character is have them threaten an animal. Like, she threatens that dog. It's like okay, and not so, only, and, yeah, and not only like 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 it's not that she pulls him aside and threatens him. No, she threatens everybody. Like, she does it right in front of another guy, and the dude's <laughs> like, "Yeah, that would kill her." Like, yeah, uh, that would kill the dude. Like, what? Are you kidding me? Yeah, yeah, that was um. She is definitely she's she's very much like the, you know, Ebenezer Scrooge grump richest person in town, which, again, another plot thread that they sort of they they, they well, show you, know, you and, and then and, it, nothing ever happens with it is this idea. Well, that, and there's, there's mention of her towards the end of her husband towards the end and everything, which is yeah. kind of like, OK, yes, obvious villain, ob- obvious villain is obvious. Mm hmm. You know, but just of like the first thing she does is like threaten a dog. It's just like, I hope you die. Like, yeah. So then later on in the movie, when we have the scene where the gremlins attack her, you don't feel any remorse whatsoever for the. No, no, that's that's that's, you know, and I'm sure you've talked about it with like Nightmare on Elm Street. That's when you're that's when you're cheering the villain. You're cheering the bad guys on. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You're just like, yeah, kill, kill her, please kill her. Like most of the people that the gremlins attack don't really deserve it. I mean, you've got um, Dick Miller played Mr. Futterman and Dick Miller Mm -hmm. is a, is a a veteran character actor. Joe Dante would put him in a bunch of his stuff. He was in a bunch of Roger Corman movies. Mm -hmm. Uh, He just, he would show up and he would be that guy. He was just a guy and everything. And sure, he's a little xenophobic and like, I don't like foreign cars. I don't like foreign, you know, but he's mostly harmless. He's just like this cantankerous old man. So he doesn't deserve so much. Yeah. But like, no, Mrs. Deagle, uh, that that lady can get launched out the house. God, no, uh, no one's crying for her. 
Did no you one's know, crying for you. Did you notice when the gremlins are coming up to her house, it's got the Deagle Realty sign out front? Um, mm-hmm. And the hours of operation were 10, 10.30 to 11.15 a.m. Monday through Friday. <laughs> her business was open for 45 minutes a day. It sounds about right. <laughs> I don't know why. That just made me laugh this time. Well, and of course, and again, and this is where the the Christmas thing comes in because mm-hmm. like she encounters like this woman in front of the bank who's like you know my husband just started working he's not getting paid you know can you help us out on the rent and so she's like the first thing you know she says like um oh uh, yeah was uh, that, now, that, now you know uh, what to ask for santa <laughs> well that too, that too but even before that when she says um Myself and the bank exist for one reason to make oh, yeah. money. Yeah. So that's that Christmas, you know, in every Christmas like cartoon, there's always the banker yes. or the rich socialite that's like trying to ruin Christmas for everyone. Mm-hmm. Yeah, oh, definitely. Um, and that was her. And what you realize when you watch this movie and watch it a couple more times is it is a satire of um, a lot of Christmas movies. And it's sort of, yeah, it's, it's like, and they play cl- the clip from It's a Wonderful Life during the movie, um, mm-hmm. which is actually yep. one of two movies that they play in this that was directed by Frank Capra. Um, so nice. he directed It's a Wonderful Life, but he also directed the educational movie that's playing in the, high, in the, the science class about the heart. <laughs> yeah. That was directed by the same guy that directed It's a Wonderful Life. Um, Interesting. Which is a fun little bit of trivia, but like, this movie is sort of taking all of the things that were in those kinds of movies and putting them in this. And so when I, when I say this is the movie of a thousand dangling plot threads, it's because they're kind of like, they put Mrs. Deagle in here to make fun of that richest person in the small town trope. Right. You know, right. They make mention of how she's like buying up leases, but there's no reason for it and they don't go anywhere with it. It's just like, it's, these movies it's always have per- that. Yeah. Rich per evil person is evil yep exactly <laughs> um so you have like the you have the trope of the the enemy rival guy at the bank who's the young up-and-coming uh vice president and then you don't do anything with it but that's judge reinhold and yeah. he gets to show up for he that never so. it never appears again yeah you've got the useless cops right the sheriff oh, and God, his yeah. deputy mm-hmm. did you recognize his deputy i didn't that was jonathan banks that played the deputy, he went on, he has gone on to have a career in things like, um, uh, uh, breaking bad. Um, he's been in, uh, I, I remember him being in episodes of like Highlander and all this. He's, he's another one of these great character actors that almost always plays like this. Oh, I recognize him. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I just looked at, yeah. What I love about it is he is a incredible actor. And you put him in this goofy role, and it's like, for whatever reason, it makes those scenes with him better. Just because, like, it's that whole catching a kind of catching a star early in their career, mm-hmm. and you can sort of when you go back and watch something with, uh, you know, a young Tom Hanks where he's not the lead, and you see him, yeah. and you're like, oh no, that guy's good. Like, or uh, yeah, you know, you see that actress, she's going somewhere because she just got it. There's something to them. And that's what I see when I, whenever I watch this and I remember Jonathan Banks is in this like, yeah. oh yeah, that's right. Um, so I, I love stuff like that. Uh, Hoyt Axton as Randall Peltzer. Um, he's actually better known as a songwriter than he is as an actor. 
He he did some acting. Hmm. Um, he was in uh, was it National Velvet. No, uh, no, 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 no. Um, not National. It's another horse movie though. Uh, Black Stallion. Uh-huh. Black Stallion. That's what it was. Um, where he's the dad in that. Mm. Um, but he was Born more. Again. He's more known as Sorry. a songwriter. Like he wrote. Oh, wow. uh, in fact, what, probably the the song that you would know the most that he had written is the Three Dog Night version of Joy to the World. The Jeremiah okay. was a bullfrog. Uh, okay. That was Hoyt Axton. Um, and he, he did a bunch of stuff in the kind of 60s, 70s. Um, mm-hmm. He reminded what? me of... Go with me. See, see, if you, see if you get this from me uh, or not. Um, Jonathan Winters. I got this like Jonathan Winters feel from him. Or like if the character were more involved in the story, you would cast John Candy. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, that kind it of thing. It was definitely... Yeah, you definitely had like I don't want to say I don't want to and I don't mean this in the way it's going to sound, but you have kind of the discount Christmas actors. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and, no. And not that they're not that they're terrible, but like you said, you you don't have John Candy, you don't have the big names for this. But that's okay. You know, because they they fit the role, they do very well. And they bring something different, you know. If, if, like you said, if it was John Candy, it'd probably end up more of a comedy movie. Yeah, and he know? would be more prominent in it. Even in 1984, you'd have more. John Candy was well known enough by that point. You would have him in the movie more because basically, yeah. the dad is in the beginning of the movie. He brings Gizmo into the house, and he's like, "Well, I got a convention to go to," and he leaves. Well, and again, it's it, it and and he's the 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 helpless debt role. Yep, you know. Where he's an inventor, but all his inventions are kind of terrible, you know. That but they're was... not like they're they're not destitute. Like no, it's not like because in most movies that character is just either a complete bumbling fool, or they're or, just completely destitute. Yeah, they're penniless. Both. That's they're a penniless, Chris Columbus like, thing too. Like Chris Columbus has something with inventors because he also wrote yeah. Young Sherlock Holmes, and if you're if you've ever seen mm-hmm. that, you know there's a character in that that is the same kind of failed inventor. Like he's got all these crazy ideas for things that nobody would ever think to invent. And it's like, there's yeah. just some, Chris Columbus likes inventions, I guess. Um, but yeah. Well, and you can see where, and uh, where he's, it's funny because with the inventions, you can have reasons for stuff in there. Like, like we said, there's now a reason for an open blender. Yeah. Yep, which we we know as an open blender now because that's a thing. But in the '80s, that wasn't a thing. Yeah, or the you peeler know, juicer, the, or the peeler juicer. But that, but that's how you can set up that scene of like, well, he made an invention that you know would be an open blender. Well, there's a guy sitting in the blender. Okay, yep. blender turns on, kills kills the gremlin. Absolutely. You know, otherwise you've got to do a whole thing of like him of like his, the mother trying to open the blender and stuff the. You know, it it just makes for a better setup, and just having the gadgets around the kitchen yeah. sets up that scene. Yep, he makes you know weird, quirky gadgets, so it makes sense they'd have like just plot convenient, quirky gadgets somewhere in the house. Right. I do wish we had gotten somebody attack one of the gremlins with the auto hammer, or the spinning uh, <laughs> the the high speed fly swatter would have been a good one too. 
which was yeah. just four fly swatters attached to a uh, regular power spinning. drill. <laughs> spinning. Um, but and I love he's just ca- I love that scene because he was just like casually playing with these things <laughs> and as they're and, like talking and after it, it's after, nothing. It's it's like nothing for his wife and son to to have this it, going on. It, it's a nothing burger. It's a nothing, and it's also not a like, oh my dad, you're so dumb. Like in like a National Lampoon's, it would have been like, oh your your dad, your 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 inventions are dumb. So here, okay, this is a thing that this movie does that I absolutely love, which is this family. Number one, it's just mom, dad, and one child. They don't have a brother and sister or anything like that. Yep. But they are just a happy family. There's it's no a good family. There's yeah. no animosity. There's no like butting heads. There's no dad can't put up with mom or mom thinks dad's a buffoon. Like she genuinely tries to support Rand in all of his endeavors. She tries to use yeah. his gadgets. They don't work, but she tries and she sort of coddles him a little bit with like the phone thing where she tries to answer the phone. It's right there. It's within arm's reach. And she still tries right. to answer it with this thing. It doesn't work. And then when she picks it up. She's like, no, no, no. I was just out on the back porch. It's fine. I'm sure it works. The, uh, yeah. The, the, the Amazon device before the Amazon yeah. device. But I love that well, because and- there doesn't need to be like not every family and everything, especially in your family friendly movies or television shows. You don't have to have conflict with your families because not well, it fa- families have, aren't always it also like that. doesn't doesn't even have to be insulting because even right. like the scene the scene with the coffee maker right <laughs> that it's out like the pudding she's like oh you know it's, you could tell she's she's being sweet about it but even he's like oh i don't know i guess i i, I, I could serve this just you know like it's you can tell he's not like he realizes it's not perfect mm-hmm. but it's and he's not self-deprecating about it but he's also not like blindly like he's, my inventions are perfect yes he 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 understands that there are issues he's not deluded but he also isn't down on himself for anything like he's trying and she's trying to be supportive but i just love it. i don't think we can drink this and he's just like starts to spoon it and it he's just like i mean yeah yeah i don't know what's wrong with it and they just laugh they have that moment and they, they laugh it off they laugh it off. And like, that is a married couple. That is a couple that have been together that aren't that we don't need to have married couples always be at odds. Like Futterman and his wife, when they're sitting there watching the TV, like that's Mm. your tropey married couple, right? Where he says something and he's rolling his eyes at her and all that. And I just like having the family at the center of the movie, just be caring for each other. Like, it's funny because when you think about it, you realize that originally they wrote it with Billy being much younger. Like he wasn't mm-hmm. 18, 19. He was, you know, he wasn't out of high school yet. He was like um, Corey Feldman's age in the movie. Yeah. Because, Which, yeah. Uh, like, number one, he's friends with the Corey Feldman character. And part of that was, I guess they had cast Corey Feldman and then they decided to make Billy older. Mm-hmm. So they just kept it anyway. But also, like, right. when his dad is in Chinatown and he's looking for stuff and he's like, yeah, I need to get a, a, a gift for my kid. And it's like mm-hmm. getting his kid a a mogwai seems really odd to get for like your 19 year old son who's still living at home who already has a dog mm-hmm. and you're going to get him yet another pet so it felt like but the mogwai felt like the type of gift you would get for somebody who's like 12 or 13 
Yeah, probably. Um, and just sort of the way some of the scenes are written, you're like, yeah, okay. That, so I, originally he was a younger kid and they aged him up and they just kind of left it as it is. It still works. I still loved all of that. Yeah. Well, and I love I love that the dad never misses an opportunity to try to make a sale. <laughs> he is, you know, he, man, he is an inventor and marketer and he is always on. Yeah. And I love the bathroom buddy. The bath, the bathroom buddy is a great little thing. It's, oh, like, it's the most pointless. It's just like a, a, a chic razor and a pair it's of toenail clippers. Of <laughs> it's a block yeah. of things and it's great. But I love how all his inventions don't quite work, but they do like the toothbrush did what it was supposed to do. He just had it over calibrated. So it just sprayed everywhere. Yeah. Um, but I kind of, I just, I, I dug all that and, I mm-hmm. did. I read where another person who uh, did audition for the role, because again, I saw like sort of John Candy or like I say, Jonathan Winters, like a younger. Yeah. If this were made mm-hmm. a few years earlier, Jonathan Winters, I think, would have been great in that role. And the voice, I think, also Hoyt Axton's voice made me think of that. But um, another name that was attached at one point was Pat Hingle, who, uh, if you ever saw the original of the 1989 Batman, he was Commissioner Gordon. Uh-huh. And according to Spielberg, I think it was, he his audition was great, but it was almost too good. Like it was, his audition was for a character that didn't fit the movie that they wanted, but it was such a good audition. Uh, and I mm-hmm. just, it's another one of those where it got my brain turning like, man, I wouldn't mind seeing Commissioner Gordon as, as his dad in this, as like the failed inventor, because I love Pat Hingle. I don't know what it is about him, uh, but I just, when I see him and stuff, I just smile. And Mm -hmm. so I thought that was kind of fun, but like you mentioned how there's not a lot of big names and there aren't, there aren't like stars in this because this movie was made for $11 million in 1984. Um, and it opened for like 200. Yeah. It was something like 150 million in its initial run in the U S. Um, Mm -hmm. and it opened opposite of ghostbusters. Because it was a summer 1984, and it was number two in the box office behind Ghostbusters, partly because apparently, while Ghostbusters did did great all over the country, in New York City, more people went and saw Gremlins, supposedly because people in New York City were pissed about Ghostbusters shutting down the streets to film, which... I can see that. I can absolutely I can see, see that. that being true. I can absolutely see that. <laughs> so I'm I'm from, I'm from the Northeast. I can absolutely see that. Yeah. Like they were just like that movie. That thing shut down. And nah, I ain't going to see that. Um, yeah. So yeah, but but this did. I mean, again, we we mentioned Judge Reinhold, and Phoebe Cates were were well known. Now Phoebe Cates, I I know her from Fast Times at Ridgemont High. I know her from this movie. But for some reason, this time around, watching it. I was like, you know, if this movie had been made 15 years later, her character mm-hmm. would have been played by Katie Holmes. Like Katie Holmes mm-hmm. to me is like the late 90s version of Phoebe Cates. Like they were they occupied that same sort of realm of the types of roles that they would get. Is what it feel, feel felt like watching it especially yeah. this time. Well, and it was again, it was the Girl next, well, I mean, obviously not quite next door, but it was like the girl next door, but she's been through some stuff. Mm-hmm. And in this case, whew, the one. And, yeah. So 
so in a movie that's got a lot of horror elements, the darkest moment in it is that story she tells when they get into the, like, what is it, the house or whatever. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's a weird thing because it feels so out of nowhere in the movie. And a, it, and, it, it really, like, just drop, let's just drop this trauma bomb on everybody. So from what I understand, in earlier versions of the script, that that story was from the perspective of a different character. And mm-hmm. I think it was supposed to be told by, uh, what did I read? I, it was supposed to have been told by Dory, actually, the bar, the bar owner. Um, yeah. But the character of Dory basically got cut. And so they mm-hmm. gave the speech to Kate instead. And he was telling it to like kids that were going to sleep or something. So it was going to be more mm-hmm. of like the, like, I'm going to tell you kids a nice story to go to bed to, but it's really this horrific thing that happened. Yikes. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's so out of nowhere that suddenly, because like, they touched on her, her character not liking Christmas. Well, and, and the thing was, you know, and she said that, and I'm like, okay, so here's what, you know, and she starts telling the story. I'm like, okay, here's where we touch on the thing she said early in the end, because she, she talks about, like, depression and some statistics about Christmas that we won't go in about the holiday season that we won't go into. Right. So it's like, okay, so this story is going to end up in B Mm -hmm. I'm thinking. And then all of a sudden we're end up in like Z somewhere. (laughs) Yeah. Cause she tells the story of like, as a kid waiting for her dad to come home on Christmas Eve and him not coming Mm -hmm. home and then not coming home Christmas day and the fire, she goes to light a fire a couple of days later as her and her mom are mm-hmm. like can't sleep and can't eat and it's cold. And she goes to light a fire and she smells something. And the, the uh, fire department finds her dad in the chimney. He had tried yeah. to climb down the chimney dressed as Santa Claus, slipped and died. <laughs> and it was like, yeah. Wow. Like, oh. <laughs> Just hit me with a bat. Like, oh, this movie, which, you know, at parts of it, I'm laughing out loud, and then they bring you that, and it's just, yeah, it's a it's a bat and, race and in the stomach. That, and then they and, go on. And that's it. And then we just, he just, they just kind of, and and then, I can't remember if they walk off screen or if they just cut away from it. <laughs> and it was just like, okay, no, we're not going to talk about this anymore. We're just going to put this away. Yeah. Well, that happened. Anyway, back to the Gremlins. Um, <laughs> Pretty much. It was like, wow. Okay. And back to hijinks because that was dark (laughs) oh but at the same time like this movie isn't the same if it doesn't have that weird left turn happen in it and and that's again this is is just that 80s thing of just like (laughs) 80s movies a lot of 80s movies you know and not even i can't say like movies today are the same but it's just like 80s movies would just have plot points and have things happen and then we're just not going to touch that again so, yeah, I wanted to bring this up, and I want to see what you think about this, because that kind of dovetails into my thought as I'm watching this movie this time around, is what they had as a script and what the final movie was are two very different things. Right. There's all sorts of, of trivia and interviews and things where Dante or Spielberg or whoever are talking about like the different things that happen and change throughout the movie. You know, Spielberg would be like, well, this should be more family-friendly. We should have, you know, make sure you can see Gizmo in this shot. Or um, Phoebe Cates talking about the kiss with Zach Galligan being like kissing her mm-hmm. brother because mm-hmm. Spielberg was there on that day. 
and just like all this weird stuff. And it's, it's like all these changes getting made and the idea that Gizmo and Stripe were not originally two different characters. It was going to be just Gizmo. And it was going to be mm. Gizmo that changed and Gizmo that was... And Spielberg is like, no, 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 he's cute. He's adorable. The audience is going to want to attach to him. We need to make this a separate character that's sort of our bad, our, our evil gremlin and keep yeah. Gizmo as the Mogwai. So they're changing things there and and all that. And I don't... It doesn't feel like the type of movie-making that happens as much today. Like, it still can happen. Obviously, there's still changes to things as you're shooting. But mm-hmm. so much of today's filmmaking is either incredibly plotted out and all of that stuff is kind of hashed out in pre-production before mm-hmm. the green light has ever really gotten around to. Mm-hmm. And you don't see as much of this, like, weird mishmash. And that's where this movie becomes the thousand hanging plot threads is you have these ideas and then they get changed, but you've already started filming things, so you just sort of leave them alone. And you got to move on to something well, else. Is, well, and this is also the time where, you know, movies and a lot of media was on a strict timeline. Mm-hmm. You know, because this was this was sitcom era. You know, this was, yeah. you know, movies cannot be longer than 90 such minutes. You know, anything longer than that, no one's going to watch a two-hour movie, right? Right. You know, uh, uh, TV shows, very structured. You had to have specific timings for ad breaks and for cuts like that. So there's probably a lot more that was shot that ended up on the cutting room floor. Oh, yeah. Because of the, because of the timing. Like, now... Someone they probably would have turned that into like a two and a half hour movie, and we would have explored all of the threads. Well, but then yeah, apparently the original have, rough cut of this was like two hours and forty minutes. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> so you know, and, and you know, in the '80s, they're not cutting out; they're not putting out a movie for two hours. No, no, and you get things you like, know? you know, because they they split. Gizmo and Stripe into two characters and make the Gremlin. Uh, so you have a a Stripe Mogwai that turns into the Gremlin. You end up with a thing where Gizmo is barely in the second half of the movie, and like yeah. he's there, but he's basically in a backpack the whole time because so the, beginning- the puppets they made just weren't made for that kind of articulation. So they didn't have right. the way to do it. That's why that's actually why he ends up in the car driving Mm -hmm. and they they signpost that earlier when he's watching that clark gable movie uh and getting into the driving but like that was an easy way to then get gizmo into the finale of your movie and be able to move him around because a lot of the gizmo puppets were sort of built to be like they were wired into a desk or a table and then they could puppeteer them from there and so because because basically because spielberg was like no no no, keep gizmo in the whole movie because he's cute and uh and we're gonna like him now it's like, okay, well, he's in the movie, but he's basically in a backpack. He's just running around. We well, hear even, him. Even initially, like, you can tell, you know, I think some of the initial shots of Gizmo mm-hmm. made him look kind of creepy. Oh, yeah. Oh, for sure. So, so much the lighting. Like, you can tell, like, he was made to look a little mischievous, mm-hmm. you know, but he was still sweet. He didn't do anything bad. You know, and then you had to, because you also had to address of like, okay, don't feed him after midnight. Well, what happens? Well, 
we, you know, the, the old guy doesn't tell us. Yeah. So, you know, that's kind of the perfect, like, okay, well, no, they split off and the ones that eat are evil. Yep. Yeah, basically. Um, but yeah, I just, you know, and they uh, literally, and they literally cut the clock <laughs> so they can get fed. Yeah. Well, and that, I, I guess, I don't know enough about the lore, uh, that's been expanded by people. Um, but there's supposedly right. two sort of different versions of the Mogwai and like, it's I'm, rare... I'm going off. I, yeah. I'm just, I'm going off of what the movie showed me. Yeah. Like, yeah. 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 Like basically there are, there are some Mogwai that are like Gizmo that are kind of good by, by nature. Uh, but there's not yeah. as many of those. And so that's why they tell you don't get them wet. Cause they're just going to multiply and you're going to have a bunch of bad ones that do exactly that. They cut the, they cut the clock so they can trick people into feeding them after midnight right. or, uh, or in the case of the one that was in the high school teacher's uh, science lab, he'll just leave a sandwich there at 2 a.m. and walk away from it. Like, come on, man. Yeah. Put your put your stuff away. Like, you think to well, grab the, the bag is, of popcorn, take the sandwich with you. <laughs> yeah. But again, I don't – that was never said in the movie specifically. So that explained – like, because I, I had that – like, I, and I, at first I thought it was um, uh, the, the main characters. I, I forget his name. Billy? Billy. I thought it was like a, a, a table of Billy's. And I'm like, Billy, what are you doing? And then they cut away and it's like, oh, it's in the, sci- it's in the, you know, school science labs. Like, oh, yeah. okay. And because Billy didn't tell him specifically, like, you know, like he showed him what happens if you, if you get, if you get them wet and the one pops off. Yeah. But he doesn't say, I, I don't recall anyway, him saying like, you can't feed him after midnight. Oh yeah. No, he definitely didn't say that. And, it makes sense that you know the doctor just be like, eh, okay, like he took the ch- he took the bag of popcorn because he was going to finish that, but he's like, eh, I'll get the you know. Yeah, I'm I'm I'll more like doctor. don't leave a sandwich just Later. out unwrapped like that overnight. You're not coming back until the next day. That sandwich is going to be stale anyway, so it's not you're not finishing it. Like, right? Come on, man, just, just throw it away or take well, it away. I don't care which. Well, and and I had and I loved uh, the scene with the doctor um, after the after it eats and it, it evolves and he, he brings the Snickers out. Yeah. Yep. And I'm, and I'm thinking, and of course I'm thinking to myself, well, you're not quite yourself when you're hungry. Yeah. Eat a Snickers. <laughs> that was the first of those Snickers commercials was gremlins. It, it was, was just the early like version of it. <laughs> 25 years earlier or whatever, 20 years earlier. Somebody had that reference in mind. They uh, had to have had that reference in mind. Had to have. That's so perfect. Uh, oh, and, and, you know, it's funny, just speaking of, like, kind of references, we were talking earlier, like, pre-show about, like, audio and visual and uh-huh. stuff for streaming, you know, and we, and one thing we always talk about is, like, gremlins in our machines, Yep. you know, be it gremlins in the computer, gremlins in the, the, the microphone or whatever, Yeah. and even, like, they made it the point of um, the older guy oh, funny to man. say, like, the gremlins machine the gremlins in the movie like he has to say it like three times as the as the uh the snowplow is like about to run him over yeah well so i mean the word gremlin comes from that that's that's the origin of it is um basically the raf and um i think it was i want to say it was coined by roald dahl in one of his mm-hmm. stories the 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 actual term of gremlin um, but it was like popularized by the RAF during either World War One or World War Two, uh, 
for exactly that. It was things that were that would make machines break. It was gremlins in the machine. So that's uh, Futterman kind of going with that. And a fun thing, the gremlin that is trying to shoot Phoebe Cates as she leaves the bar, the, the one that she dodges, the picture yeah. that it hits is a Royal Air Force plane. So, like, they were thinking about this kind of stuff when they were making this movie. They they were putting this stuff in there. There's a I ton. Mean, there is a ton of Easter eggs in the backgrounds of shots of this movie. And, and, and I will agree with you. Like, not that I've read anything, but having worked in uh, films and, you know, small production stuff, directors think of that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No, 99% of people not going to pick that up, but that director thought, I'm going to put a plane there for him to shoot. <laughs> yeah, um, there is a, like, they put that there, or my favorite one. So the two, <clears throat> the two different shots of the dad at his inventor's conference, where he's sitting in the phone booth, uh, was mm-hmm. that was full of cameos, and it was full of great yep. little Easter eggs. So the mm-hmm. first shot... He's in there, and the guy that's in the phone booth behind him that kind of glances up at the camera real quick, um, and he's got like the kind of tan-colored weird suit and kind of and white hair. That's Jerry Goldsmith, mm-hmm. the the um, composer. Okay. And in the background of it, there's a guy on a motorized uh, like wheelchair, and that's Steven Spielberg going around <laughs> there. You see Rob the robot from Lost in Space come by. I was I was I I knew I recognized that robot. I couldn't pick it. I couldn't like. Yeah. From, I, I was like that robot's from something. Yep. And, and I even, thought it was like an early Doctor Who bot. Yeah, it was the Lost in Space bot, and they even got the voice actor to come and like record or used lines of his uncredited um, mm-hmm. for that. But my favorite one is the background of the H.G. Wells time machine. Uh, yeah, from the I old do movie. That. What's mm-hmm. awesome about it is the first shot you see it, and all the stuff is spinning and all of that, and then they cut back to the mom, and they cut back to the dad, and the time machine is gone, and there's somebody oh, looking like it. confused because it's not there anymore, <laughs> and I was just like, oh, that is such a good Easter egg joke that yeah, ninety percent of people are never gonna like realize is happening, but next time that's not something. You- that's, yeah. that's not something you're going to see on a first watch. No, but watch it again, and you will notice. You'll see the time machine, and then when it cuts back, it's yeah. gone, and there's like somebody looking at the floor like, what happened? And uh, that cracks I do, me I, up. I, I do remember picking out the time machine, and I do remember picking out the robot, because he was even saying, like, wow, yeah, there's a lot of good stuff here. Yep. Yeah. You know, and he's holding his little, uh, <laughs> his little uh, bathroom mate thing. Mm-hmm. You know, and there's a robot behind him, and there's a time machine. <laughs> it was just like, wow. <laughs> oh, so good. Um, my favorite, though, my absolute 100% hands-down favorite cameo in this movie is in the bar. And that is yet another of the story threads that they don't follow through with is Billy being a cartoonist in the comic. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But yeah. when he first, when they cut away from uh, him dealing with Mrs. Deagle, in the um mm-hmm. in the bank. Yep. And then it's a mm-hmm. shot of him drawing and he's he's got the dragon with her face on it. And the guy says, mm-hmm. Wow, the old lady never looked better. That's Chuck Jones. Mm-hmm. 
because this was a Warner Brothers production and they got Chuck Jones to come in and sit down. And he even says, thanks, Mr. Jones. I'll talk to you later and gets up and walks away. And I was like, but I like you hear the voice and then I see him and I'm like, oh, that is. And I forget about it because, again, it's one of those Mm -hmm. it's one of those blink and you miss it moments. But I'm like, you get Chuck Jones to sit down for this throwaway cameo that, again, unless you are, you know, if you're an animation nerd, you know who Chuck Jones is. But even even during that time, like you would probably not really know what Ch- who Chuck Jones looks like. Even if you'd seen, you would have seen his name a hundred times. You wouldn't know what he looked yeah. like, and here he is, yeah, and it's, it's just it's so perfect. Yeah, oh. like it's not like it's not like now where like you may not know who a celebrity is, but you've seen their face, and then mm-hmm. you're like, oh, that's so and so. I re-, you know, or or you know, like the Stan Lee cameos and all of the. You know, yeah. the Marvel series. Yep. It's like, okay, we know who he is, thanks in large part to um, a wider media. Yeah. You know, but at the time it was newspapers and some TV. Yep. You know, cable, again, cable was the big like selling point of like, let's, <laughs> let's go, you know, come over to my house. I've got cable. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I just, uh, when I saw Chuck Jones again, it just warmed my heart. He was, he's my favorite of the Warner brothers animation is all Chuck Jones. Oh, stuff. He, he did. He did so many like of that, that classic Warner brothers era, the Daffy duck and Porky pig cartoons that are, um, pastiche or send ups of like genres mm-hmm. are mm-hmm. some of the best Warner brothers yeah. cartoons ever made, whether it's the. Whether it's Duck Dodgers in the twenty fourth and a half century, whether it's the one where he's Robin Hood Daffy, um, mm-hmm. Robin Hood Daffy makes me laugh until I hurt. No matter how many times I see it, uh, it's just great. Chuck Jones just was the man. He was he was yeah. the king of all of that stuff, and so to see him in this movie was great. When um, uh, let me just there was one thing I didn't get to. Oh yeah, no, definitely. Um. Okay, this can't be right. Okay, so so there was there uh there was another reference. Speaking of like kind of blinking, you miss it. Mm-hmm. Um, we had the Footloose reference. Oh oh uh, with, uh, with one of the Gremlins. Oh, Flashdance. Flashdance. Yes, yes. Yes. Um. Not only that, but uh, the song was the the song they used, which wasn't Flashdance but was the mm-hmm. same artist that did the Flashdance nice. song. <laughs> nice. So I, I, that was a great one. That one's super fun too. Like that whole oh, bar and, scene and with it, all of those because yeah. they brought in a bunch of bunch more voice actors to do all the gibberish. So like the, the, uh, the hard-boiled detective kind of Humphrey Bogart mm-hmm. uh, gremlin, that's, that's clearly Frank Welker um, doing that voice because he's got that Dr. Claw kind of grumbly voice thing going on. Yeah. Um, Peter Cullen was mixed in there somewhere. Optimus Prime is the voice of one of the gremlins. Like they had just a bunch of people come in and just shooting, you know, recording just, just a bunch of gibberish. Oh, uh, that had to be fun. I bet. Uh, um, and how we met. Oh, Michael Winslow was another one, uh, you know, doing. Oh, uh, yeah. Doing man, man of a thousand voices. Yeah, absolutely. So. Yeah, it's super super fun to see all that kind of stuff. Did you catch? Did you catch um, the uh, and the, again? This is an '80s thing, but I think we saw it again in like Stranger Things, where you had 
they were playing Oh Holy Night, but on a synth, like an 80s synth. Yes. Mm-hmm. I saw, you know, I, I the, caught the, that. Uh, which I thought was real, like a really nice touch because, you know, 80s synth has, ha, has like a, a, a different vibe. And we've, you know, we've talked about music and stuff on, on film, you know, the last time we were on here, mm-hmm. you know. And just them playing Oh Holy Night, but on like probably a Roland Juno or something like that. Yeah. You know, well, which added, you know, like you could tell the melody, but added that layer of creepy, mm-hmm. but not too creepy. Right. The music you in know? the movie overall, like it fits the different scenes. Like there's moments where it feels like uh, um, almost like TV show music. And then there's moments mm-hmm. where it gets a little bit more dramatic, and I just mm-hmm. it's just great. It's it's super fun the way they did all that. Um, yeah, I just I, I had to point out that one part because oh, that yeah. one part really like stuck out to me. It was like, oh, okay, that's that's brilliant. I also love the not subtle um, stuff that is on the TVs, like when he's watching mm-hmm. Invasion of the Body Snatchers, the original. They're coming 50s. for you. And then you see the pods like in the very next scene. Like I love that. Mm -hmm. That just tickled me. Oh yeah. Plus I, I adore invasion of the body snatchers. That 1950s one with, with him is so good. Um, so, uh, yeah, I just, this movie is a ton of fun. I did capture a couple of audio clips. Um, audio for this was, there's a lot, but, so much of it is the gremlins and it's just kind of like gibberish and sort of a cacophony of sound. It doesn't make for good isolated clips. Even the like yeah. yelling, there's an actual gremlin in my cab. I wanted to capture that, but it just, it got drowned out. It, it's it mm-hmm. without context. It doesn't work as well, but I got a couple good out of context lines that uh, I think are, are pretty funny. Um, okay. This was a thing that eighties movies did. And I'm going to play the clip, and then I want to see how you react to it. So this was very early in the movie. You got yourself a bad case of dragon breath. Bad breath. The gong. (laughs) I don't remember that. It's so so ridiculous because, of course, he makes the faux pas, but then... It's not only does does the dad say that he immediately looks at like the Chinese dragon that's on the the counter and then you hear the gong he's like bad breath. Um yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's it's one of those like and again, it, it's such an 80s trope of kind of like the unintentional racist thing. Yeah. Yeah, and, this, but it, most times most times it's very like it's very it's very racist, honestly. A lot of, you know, a lot of, and, you know, it's one of those just at different times and everything like that. This time it was like, no, they, they didn't try, you know, like they had some of the tropes there, but they weren't trying to be like, no one was really being insulted this sh- during this movie. So, like, best way I can describe it. Yeah. John Hughes using the gong every time they inter- they, they mentioned or brought up the character of Long Duck Dong in 16 candles is the the uh, the opposite version of this right every time that character showed up on screen you'd hear the gong mm-hmm. and that was very much that kind of like that's a joke you don't write into a movie these days this one right. is is a lot more innocent than that where it's like here's rand and he's probably used this saying before and he's realizing as he's saying it oh 
that's not the thing I should be saying now. And they're just signposting it with that gong. And that was the thing that made me laugh about it. It wasn't, it was, it was inserting that sound effect in there for no reason other than to just make a, a ridiculous moment. Just, out to, of it. just to give a little point to the joke, but yeah. also to keep, to keep it lighthearted rather yes. than serious. You yeah, know, cause... like he, he realized, Oh, that was kind of bad, you know? <laughs> Yep, and exactly. So you, you know, suddenly he says, "Oh, bad breath." Like, but it's it's also like it in the movie. It's even better because you see his eyes look down for a second, like, "Oh, oh, you know what? Hold on, <laughs> bad breath." Yeah, um, like he, like again, you know, outside of like uh, outside of uh, Mist Eagle, there's not really any bad characters, right? Yeah, she she's know? terrible. Like, she's she's the obvious terrible bad evil character. Everyone else, like. Yeah, you know, um, uh, you know, Judge Reinhold's character is just kind of an arrogant prick, and yeah, you know, um, the the older man's yeah, he's a little he's just a little off color, off color talking about foreigners and stuff, but he's not like singling out an entire culture or anything like that. And it's basically just he just wants all his stuff to be made in America. Like he's like, yeah. we should have bought a Zenith, which is. Uh, that's funny because Zenith at that time was the last electronics brand that still manufactured in the U S mm-hmm. in the eighties. And like talking about his, you know, Kentucky, uh, what was it? Um, ah, uh, it's like Snow Kentucky, Plow. Kentucky harvester, you know, oh, yeah, that's his tractor cool. that was made in the U S like that kind of thing. But yeah, right. he's, he's not a mean spirited person. He's just like, I just want everything. I want to buy American and, rah, rah, he's like, well, he, and they cars. say like, well, and they even say, like, he lost his job. So, like, yeah, he's a little grumbly. Mm-hmm. But he's not malicious or, you know, just angry. It's just, okay, he's he, he's been through some stuff. Yeah. He's also severely out of touch with the world at, at large because yeah. when he's he's talking to Billy not- and he, he mentions, like, how's your comic strip coming? Which, again, as I mentioned, was a yeah. thing that just, like, they mentioned in the beginning of the movie and then forget about. But yeah. it's it's after that I captured this because I just it just made me laugh. I expect to see you in the funnies any day now with Smiling Jack and Little Abner. Oh well, Mr. Futterman, they don't run those comics anymore. Like he's making yeah. reference to a comic that in nineteen eighty four probably hadn't been in a newspaper in thirty plus years. Right. But at that point, and this is you know, Little Abner. I like even I was like, Wow, Little Abner, that's an old reference. Like Yeah. So that and again, just... it, and it, and again, it's done in a lighthearted way mm-hmm. where it's not like, you know, oh, Mr. Fetterman, you're a terrible, like, oh, you're so. He, he's just like, yeah, they don't make that anymore. Yeah, he's just out of touch. Then, he doesn't, he doesn't know just, what's going on. But they're also not like, you know, like again, like in some other comedies, especially at that time, they would have just hammered into him of like how out of touch he is and da 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 da. And here it's just like, oh. Okay, well, you're still sweet. Okay, I'm going to go. Yeah, and even later when he's at the bar and he's, you know, he's all plastered and Kate gets him out of the bar and he goes to get into his tractor and drive it home and she stops yeah. him and she's like, maybe you should walk home. And that's when, and then he has his drunk moment, his drunk epiphany of, you know what, I'm going to walk home. It's a nice night. Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. If, the, if this movie was made today, that little Latin or something <laughs> would end with okay, Boomer. <laughs> Um, we've, we've referenced this line already, but, uh, I got it. So here we go. Kate, you haven't seen my new apartment. I haven't seen your old apartment. (laughs) 
What a great... I love that. That was such a great comeback. Oh, and it was just immediate. I haven't seen your old apartment. And I like, too, when she takes his drink order. And apparently he just... He is obviously supposed to be, you know, a James Bond thing. But mm-hmm, mm-hmm. supposedly Judge Reinhold couldn't... Like he kept fumbling the line. So they kept it in there and it made it actually works better where he says vodka martini shake don't stir because it makes him sound yeah. like that much more of a pretentious clueless nut job he's a try hard yeah he sounds like a try hard like he's he's gonna quote the line but he's gonna quote it wrong well and again you know and we touched on it with the mother too like neither mo- the mother or kate are the tropey damsel in distresses that not you, at all that you get like you know the mother we said like has the has the more quality body count and even yep. kate get, gets hers you plus know? i mean shoot kate works at a bar as a waitress like she's tough as nails she's and that's what i'm saying like she, she's serving the gremlins like well <laughs> this is probably not the worst night i've had i wish they tip better but hey you know well, it's probably playing... about the same tips as, as she gets it's true and they're not, and the gremlins aren't all trying to play grab ass with her so yeah exactly so um, I did. Okay. Uh, so I didn't capture any, uh, any of the actual, like Santa Claus speech from her, but it was just the end of it where, uh, after she's oh, yeah. told the story and she ends it with, and that's how I found out there was no Santa Claus. <laughs> and then, yeah. well, now that we've done that trauma, let's move on. Like, <laughs> yeah, I'm just going to, tra- I'm going to dr- drop this trauma right here and we're going to leave exit stage, right? <laughs> yep. Oh, that's how I went. So now I've got that. Like uh, I can keep that sound. Uh, forever. That was, that's, that's yeah, again, that was, that, that was just one of the, yeah, that was just one of those like, okay, that was <laughs> okay. Oh, I like, loved it. Like, I mean, and, and to be fair, like, what do you say to that? <laughs> right. You can't follow it up with anything. Like, so you just like move on. You know, and if and if and if uh, if uh, the main character had said it, it would have sounded horrible. Of Like, oh, oh I guess you realize it didn't, re- you know, oh. it would have been so much worse. But the way she and, and the fact that she's been deadpan this whole movie mm-hmm. emphasized like the way she handled judge Reinhold's character. Like, yes, this is just, this is how she's coped with it. Absolutely. And the last one I got, and this was, it's not a funny line. I just, for some reason, liked the way it sounded. And it was the, um, grandfather character, key Luke, um, mm-hmm. the old, the, the guy who ran the store, the old Chinese man who mm-hmm. they had to put oh, yeah. in like old man makeup because apparently he just looked, he was like 79 when they made this movie and they had to age him up because he just looked too yeah. good. And that was another, that was a funny quote from Zach Galligan where he said he asked him what it was and expected some kind of ancient Chinese secret joke. And the guy was just mm-hmm. like, hey, I just don't eat fried food. <laughs> uh, but it was the way he delivered this line that just, I, I don't know why I just liked it. And it was, at the very end of the movie, when um, he uh, the the dad Rand tries to sell him on the smokeless ashtray, yeah, and he he says, "Yeah, the guy at the gas station was telling me about this, and it's just I'm sure it will come in handy." <laughs> I don't know why I liked that line. It's just something about it just tickled me. Well, he just made me laugh. Well, he he wasn't trying to he wasn't trying to sell him. All- on it, he was offering it to him as yes. like, you know, as his mea culpa. Like, That's I screwed true. up. I was wrong. You know. 
But there was like a genuineness yeah. to the grandfather's reaction to it of like, oh, yes, a smokeless ashtray. I'm I'm yeah. sure it will come in handy. Like he's genuinely. <laughs> yeah, sure. I'll take this thing from you. Fine. Whatever. Yeah. Well, I love and I also got and, and we didn't even touch. I'm glad you mentioned that bit because I loved how he just shows up. <laughs> yeah. Out of nowhere at the end of the movie. Just bam. He's there. It's it's the great and way not, to to not sequel bait your movie. Because you just show, like, how how do you move on from what's happened to this little town? Like, this little town has been virtually wiped yeah. off the map by these damn gremlins. And right. if they, if Billy continued existing with Gizmo in his house, like, there's, how do you, how do you reconcile that? So, uh, yeah. well, here, we'll just have the, the old man show back up and take him. Like, you well, weren't again, ready for this. Like, it's not like he knocks at the door. Yeah. <laughs> or anything he just appears just yeah. poof he's there uh, <laughs> <You know? laughs> it's it's another it's another in the sort of we're not going to explain anything just uh don't pay attention behind the curtain and go yeah. with it. like you just suspend no, your I, disbelief and go with it and it's perfect it works no and i loved it for that because because it, it was that last kind of jump scare yeah really it's well, just all of a sudden like and, he's there <laughs> yeah and then he takes he takes gizmo puts him in the box and they walk off on that awesome matte painting at -hmm. the end of the movie where Mm -hmm. it's just this beautiful matte painting as he's walking along. And apparently they had at one point, um, he just sort of disappears. Like there was a glitch and he just disappeared in the, in the film and they, they were going to leave it in there. They were going to have it left in there, but they didn't. But what I did notice is the end credits just sort of pop up suddenly. Yeah. 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 (laughs) They just appear like, you know, normally there's like a fade to black or something. So it's like, nope, nope. Here's a credit. Gonna, they're not even going to scroll from the bottom. They're just going to show up and then start scrolling. It was, it was strange. Yeah. But no, Gremlins is a, it's a fun movie. Like it's definitely a don't overthink it movie. And yeah. I'm, I, I enjoy that. I want, I don't need every movie to, to be uh, perfectly intelligent, but this movie also doesn't insult your intelligence. Like it doesn't, it doesn't ever do anything to to make itself seem like more than it is. It's just like, oh, we're going to have fun. This is a silly story about yeah. weird things. Now, Gremlins 2 takes that, I think, to an even better level. It gets more satire to it. Mm. And, and, I, um, I, and Yeah, and I'm curious to... Because to, I don't... Again, like I don't remember if I've actually watched Gremlins 2 all the way through or if mm. I just remember a lot of... You know, moments and scenes. Have, yeah, a lot of yeah. the memorable moments that get replayed and everything like that. Um, but yeah, and, and like you said, like this is a, a this is a silly popcorn movie that yeah it has some dark moments and yeah it has some horror elements, but it's not a horror movie, and it's not a you know, it's not a perfect Christmas movie, you know. And, you know, and it's funny because, you know, that was like one of the first things I checked. It's like, okay, when did this come out? Well, it came out in June. Okay. So yep. it was a summer movie. Yeah. It was a summer, you know, blockbuster movie. Yep. Um, and that was partially because uh, Warner Brothers realized they had nothing coming out to, like, combat against g- g- Ghostbusters or Temple of Doom. And so they're mm-hmm. like, all right, well, we'll put this out in the summer instead then. And yeah. it worked, obviously, because it made a ton of money and they ended up making a sequel. And, not only that, but 
but making Gizmo be a mogwai throughout the whole movie was brilliant in terms of like marketing toys based on the movie. Because oh, I mean, I, I mean, know... movies, especially in the eighties, movies were just were toy marketing. And and I'll tell you what, I if I didn't have a plush Gizmo, I knew somebody that did. Like those things were everywhere. Mm-hmm. It was huge. Yeah. Even if you hadn't seen the yeah. movie, like you knew who Gizmo was and you wanted. Well, that I think they thing. had it. I I think that show had an animated series. There was. Uh, I do remember there being one. Uh, so that you that know, did help it, it too. It, it's one of those. If a movie was big enough, they're gonna market the ever living hell out of it. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. You know, and from and from the gangbusters, you know, opening night that they did, like obviously they, they, uh, you know, it probably insta. Uh, greenlit the sequel. Yeah, I mean, it, so the movie made um, its budget back, and then a little bit. It made like twelve million in its opening weekend, and mm-hmm. went on to one hundred and fifty. Now the sequel didn't come out for a few years. Uh, it was nineteen ninety when they finally did Gremlins two, uh, mm-hmm. but as Joe Dante came back to do it, so mm-hmm. he he did um, a couple. He did Inner Space and uh, the Burbs, and then he went and made Gremlins two. And the Burbs is probably my favorite of his movies, by the way. If you haven't seen that, that's a great movie. That's Tom Hanks, um, is in that, yeah. and uh, that one's I I adore the Burbs, but yeah, this this is a, a super fun uh, movie. Now, go into it if you haven't seen it before, or you're showing it uh, in in front of kids. <clears throat> realize that there is some cartoon levels of gore but like we get a gremlin that's exploded in a microwave yeah you know which is probably the worst of it yeah that and stripes death at the end that's pretty rough where he kind of melts yeah yeah he, yeah yeah like from the sunlight which is the only one but, they they mention that sunlight will kill them and then it's just the one that gets killed by the sunlight um, right but it, it it's intense it's it's End of Raiders of the Lost Ark level intense, like melting Nazi face type intensity in terms of the imagery. Well, and, I, and when I watched it, you know, again, I, I watched it on Amazon and they give you the option to either watch it in like the original, um, I guess the original kind of aspect ratio uh-huh. or modernized. Okay. Because you know, they say like, if you watch like kind of the original version, it's going to be a lot darker because you know, films at that time were, you know, definitely a lot darker. There wasn't the sharpness and the clarity that you have with, sure. you know, HD and everything today. Um, I watched it just as a modern version, just because I wanted to see how the practical effects held up, mm-hmm. you know, and, and again, you know, I've said it earlier, like, I think practical effects are, you know, definitely more visceral, you know, but even then, like seeing the, the striped skeleton at the end, it's like, uh, oh, it's plastic. It's melting. Yeah. <laughs> but know? still like, yee. no, yeah, if you were like, to, ooh. if this movie were made, say between like 1995 and 2010 to 2015, it would have been overly CG'd in terms of what the gremlins would have been. And mm-hmm. it wouldn't age as well as the puppets do. Now, if it were being made in the last, say, five years, now you're talking where they would have done uh, a lot of puppets with CG extensions to it, which is much better. Like, 
which could be in which which might be interesting for a lot of the different gags yeah or yeah. they had and, may have had more options for different gags that they just couldn't do because of yeah now know, there the there is rumor of a third gremlins movie coming um sometime i believe next year i, I see ace mentioning that in the chat and i did read about that which i'll be curious to see how they do that because that's the thing with this movie it's a lot of those eighties movies did it right. Where it was, whether it was gremlins or then critters that came along that was basically like, Oh, gremlins did that. Well, we'll do it, but just, you know, more R rated. Um, but having those puppets and that's what aged this, that's what makes gremlins still fun to watch today. I think if it had all been stop motion, it would be kitschy and you could, you could watch some of it, but it wouldn't have the same staying power that those puppets have. So, yeah, I agree one hundred percent. Like the, the again, we talked about the the one stop motion part where they're all running out on the street. It's just like, yeah, that did not look good. No, like you know, th- thankfully it was only like a couple seconds, so it wasn't like long enough to really pick it apart. But it was just like, oh, okay, yeah, let's cut away from that. <laughs> like I have nothing against stop motion; it just doesn't age as well. Uh, well, it depends. If everything it depends. is stop motion, if you're making a stop motion movie like a Nightmare Before Christmas or Nine or something like I was that, just, I was just about to say if you're if you're doing something like that where it's entirely stop motion, that's one thing. Yeah. But having stop motion in a live action movie with puppets that doesn't mesh as well. Like it's it's interesting, you're right? Too many too yeah. much media. Because like animation mixed with live action can work, and it usually it, it has more often than not. I would say. But for mm-hmm. some reason, stop motion, and I think it's because anima- like hand-drawn animation or something like that, it, a Roger Rabbit, for instance, yeah. there's such a difference between Eddie Valiant and Roger Rabbit that you can somehow kind of believe that this could interact, especially when they do it as well as they did in that movie. But there's right. something with, because more often than not, your stop motion is miniatures. And so mm-hmm. you have not only the stop motion animation to mix with live action, but it's a scale thing too. Anything you're mm-hmm. doing in stop motion, you have to build your sets at scale. Some things don't scale well, and then you've got to mix all that together. It's hard to do. So I, I totally and also, get that. Well, and, and also, it's it's you know, it's a. I would say it's also like a frame rate smoothness. Yep. Thing. Yeah. Oh yeah. When you're going to a very you know, smooth frame rate. And then you're jumping to this kind of really jerky looking. Yep. Bit, and then trying to go back to, you know, it, it's, it's that, you know, like, again, like, you know, the puppets aren't real, right. Mm-hmm. As far as, you know, but the puppets exist in that physical space. So everything they're doing is in that physical space. So it's not like, you know, it's yeah. not the suspension of disbelief. And again, like you said, it's it's either it has to exist in that same space or be so widely different that it, it it's okay because it's a cartoon now. Yeah, and you, know, like you also Roger... Yeah. And the frame rate or motion blur. Like yeah. the way our bodies move and are captured on film is different than when you're doing stop frame animation where you don't right. get that blur of motion. And you can yeah. you can fudge that in hand drawn animation, and yeah. puppets will obviously be moving and and are in real time, but mm-hmm. even even like your better go motion type animation that that got developed, still does it still doesn't quite have the feel 
of really being there. Yeah. And so that's that's why, yeah, it just doesn't uh, doesn't age as well. And the puppets, the puppets look great, and that's the best part. Like the puppets yeah. look good, and well, that so was the I thing. I was I, I was kind, of, and that's why, like I said, I wanted to watch kind of the modern version because I was really curious to see how the puppets held up. Yeah, and you know, and again, this is. The, the puppets were very still very high quality like they still worked mm-hmm. you know i'm sure if i went back frame by frame yeah i'd see a hinge there or something like that but in terms of the movie itself like they're well done and this is some you of know? the best puppet work outside of the jim henson creature shop that you're gonna see yeah like yeah. usually your best work is jim henson stuff and the henson creature shop and this isn't them but it's it's like not that far below it. It's really good. It's it's on, it's on that same level. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, this is fun. I I'm really glad you got to see this movie, and now you can tick that off uh, off your list, and you can tell people, yes, I have actually seen Gremlins. I don't have to question myself anymore. So that's good. No, this is great, and again, it it, it was. This is one of those, uh, like, you know. Uh, the holidays are rough. Yeah. doesn't matter who you are. You know, mm-hmm. the holidays can be rough, can be stressful. Uh, work's been stressful for me. This was the perfect type of movie for me to just chill, shut the brain off. Yeah. You know, it, it's a good popcorn movie. You know, if I had other people here, if I had other people watching with me, it would have turned into an episode of MST3K. <laughs> oh, for sure. You know, well, and, it, but that's, it, it's just a fun movie. It is, and it's it's a perfect movie for a Christmas movie in that alternative Christmas movie sense where sometimes you want It's a Wonderful Life or you want, you know, uh, A Christmas Carol. You want something that's that kind of wholesome, make you feel warm and fuzzy inside, remember the Christmas spirit. But maybe you're not feeling that that day or you just want you want something that's set around the holiday or, but, but isn't necessarily about the holiday. You can throw if, something if, like this on. It still has some of the heartwarming mo- moments. It like, does. It, it definitely. It has. It still has that. Like, because there are some alternative Christmas movies where it's just it's gone. You know, like you get um, what's that one movie that came out where it's like the violent Santa? Oh yeah. Um, yeah yeah. You um, know, or you get or you get uh, you know, the cynical like, you know, um, the Billy Bob Thornton. Yep, Mad Santa. Mad Santa. You know, which. They, those movies have their place. I'm not mm-hmm. saying that as a negative. This movie was still heartwarming, but still funny. Absolutely, you know? absolutely. And yeah. it, it was just it was the right amount of levity mm-hmm. without without being cheesy, yeah. w- without being the cheesy Christmas movie uh, you know that we all know and love. Yeah, it doesn't. You, a, a good family friendly Christmas movie doesn't have to be schmaltzy. It can be. Yeah a little bit edgier and it can be a little funny and it can be something different. And this is uh, without, a prime example without being, of that. Without being totally cynical as well. Yes. Yep. Absolutely that. So super, super fun. Um, now let people know where they can find what you work on or what you do. I mean, cause you, you're all <laughs> over the place doing stuff. Uh, I've been kind of in my hole lately to be honest. Oh, um, well. What I'm doing well. What I'm doing now is I'm editing for the Goblins and Growlers podcast, which is a uh, podcast about TTRPG news. Okay. Uh, we're actually about to re- release our 2022 year in review. 
excellent. Um, episode that's actually coming out tomorrow, uh, uh, December nineteenth. If you're not watching this, uh, if you're watching this later, okay. um, where we kind of recap. They well, the guys recap all the episodes they did, and uh, this one was a lot of fun because we they made it into like a, an awards thing. So I got to have a lot of fun with like putting music and sound effects in oh, this nice. time. So. Even if you're not interested in t- tabletop RPGs, check this out. The guys are great, and I had a lot of fun editing this one. Um, my old, my uh, previous show, uh, which is currently in hiatus, is the Blood Crow Stories. That's on uh, iTunes, Stitcher, all the podcasters. I think we're on Spotify now. Okay. Um, that's a serialized horror movie. Um, each season is its own self-contained story with an overarching story in the vein of like American horror story. Okay. Um, you can still check those out. We have three and a, three and a half, uh, seasons. Unfortunately, our fourth season was cut due to COVID. No. Um, so we're on hiatus. See what happens with that, but there's still a lot of content there. Okay. Um, I did all the audio work for that recording, editing sound effects, uh music the whole nine yards um and that show i will say is not for uh kids um it's a it's a horror show people die there are some uh great sound effects that i'm proud of that might make you sick (laughs) fair warning so fair warning fair warning fair warning um yeah uh so that's everything i'm kind of doing right now and uh, curious to see, we'll see what uh, 2023 brings to the table. Excellent. Well, thank you for being here this week. This show I do record live uh, Sunday nights, 8 p.m. Eastern time at twitch.tv slash TV's Travis. It comes out on Wednesdays anywhere you get your podcasts. Um, if you can't catch it live, there is video on demand, or you can catch it over on YouTube. Um, the, the same video is over there. It's uh, YouTube at TV's Travis. Uh, and the show has a Patreon. So if you want to support the show in a financial way, you can do that through Patreon, patreon.com slash W-Y-H-S. Um, for as little as $1 an episode, you can help support the show. Uh, so any way that you support it, whether it's just listening to it, telling friends about it, uh, or through Patreon, thank you so much. Uh, and uh, you're all wonderful. It's why I continue to do this, because I enjoy it. And I enjoy having conversations like the one I had tonight with you. Um, this was super fun, Scott. Thank you for being here. Uh, we'll definitely have to do Absolutely. it again sometime soon. Absolutely. Thanks again for having me on. And next week, uh, I'm going to wrap up December and uh, next episode and uh, alternative Christmas movies with September, a.k.a. 9 of 12 in the chat. Uh, we are going to be talking about a movie called Sleigh Bells. Uh, S-L-A-Y-B-E-L-L-E-S. I know nothing about it other than uh, it's some sort of a uh, horror, looks like horror comedy, maybe satire. Um, it it looked fun. So she brought it up, and I've never seen it or heard of it, and I'm all for it. So we're going we're gonna to do that. That's going to be coming up. That one will not be recording on a Sunday because that Sunday would be Christmas Day. So... Um, <laughs> But it will be coming out in normal time for podcasts. So that's the next episode coming up as I inch ever closer to episode 200 of this show. Um, Ooh, so that's awesome, man. 
So definitely come back for that. But Scott, thank you so much for being here this week. This has been super fun. Um, and uh, we'll do it again sometime soon. Absolutely. All right. And for the rest of you out there, thank you for listening. Remember to enjoy your movies and let's be excellent to each other. This has been way you haven't seen. Sheriff, asshole. Diamond Club hopes you have enjoyed this program. <laughs>